say my main role is that I'm a filmmaker. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a visual storyteller. Why do I love to tell stories? But you know, you can't make money and you can't have a job just saying I'm a documentary filmmaker. You know, you have to start somewhere. So I started in, in television. My mother said, you tell him that you got another job and they're going to do everything they can to keep you. I went in, I told him, I said, listen, I've been offered an, another job for a news channel. And he said, great, go. <laughs> After about a year and a half of doing that, where I almost died because it was I would, dark circles under my eyes. I had, I didn't have any friends. Anyway, I became someone, you know, who was awake all night and slept all day. And then after that, I just said, okay, that's it. I, I, I remember I rewrote my resume and I said, I'm a producer now. When people look at a resume, they, they're just looking at the big, the big, oh, you worked at the New York Times. Yes, I was in the payroll department, but okay, it doesn't matter. Oh, you worked at MTV. Wow. You know, the moral of the story, Renzo, is that never stop hustling. I'm Renzo Esposito, founder of Ser Producer, and this is More About a podcast where I'm going to talk with producers, directors and creatives about their stories, experiences and learnings. Today, every low day. My first question is, if somebody asks you what you do, how is your answer for that? My answer is always a little bit confused. Just like when people ask me, what, what is your nationality? I always pause. Um, I usually say I'm a filmmaker. And then uh, if they push a little bit more, I say I'm a producer, director, but I also edit. So uh, I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of things, but I would say my main role is that I'm a filmmaker. I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a visual storyteller. Okay. So uh, how is your day today? Like you work from home, you have a like office. I know that in this current time, it's different maybe, but uh, you, uh, I have an office, but it's a, uh, if you're your, if you are your own boss, having an office is a little bit like having a gym membership. It's really <laughs> good to, you know, you, it's good to know that you have a gym membership. Mm -hmm. It's expensive, but you don't always have to show up. So um, I do, I have an office, which I mostly uh, go into when I really need to. We live in an ever increasing digital virtual world, but I still really like the, it's still something to be said for the experience of going into an office and being freshly scrubbed and clean and sitting at a desk and plugging the computer in and being in the, in the right mindset. Um, but I usually go into my office when I'm actually on, on a production because that's when you need to be, you know, really on on right. and I also edit a lot so um, for editing um, I edit like a lot of people you know today just on my laptop with headphones mm -hmm. on um, and uh, yeah that's what my day looks like but I'm very free that's one of the great things about uh, my job and my life is that I am completely my uh, sovereign of my own time Um, okay. which is a, one of the greatest things uh, about this line of work. Of course, there are some negatives as well, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. I, love, I love being free. If I want to work all night, I often I edit in, at nighttime because uh, editing is one of those um, 
uh, one of those activities which you, if I know that I have a finite time, if I know I only have three hours to edit, I, I can't, you know, I have to always feel that I have a long spate of mm -hmm. time ahead of me. So I tend to edit a lot at night. It's like limit your creativity. Right? It completely. It's not like an office job editing, you know, it's mm -hmm. not something that you do between the hours of right. nine and five. Um, and I've actually had a lot of uh, difficulty explaining this to people in my life with whom I have close relationships, partners, kids, um, even my parents, you know, to, editing is uh, something that just, you know, you really have to sort of dive into the, the vortex, mm -hmm. to the unknown. It's like going into an ocean, right? So that you mm -hmm. can be completely free to create. It's very, very, very time consuming, as I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me more about this experience of being born in San Francisco and with the American mother and a British father and you raised in Paris. How it's all this experience of living in different countries and how that affect the way you tell stories or the way you produce stories? Well, first of all, you're very good, Renzo. I have really close friends who still can't figure out where I was born, what nationality <laughs> I am. Everyone still thinks I'm partly French. Um, okay, so yes, I was born in San Francisco. Here's the story in a nutshell. My mother is an American New York girl, half Italian, half Irish, classic New Yorker. She had an overbearing Italian-American father who was cramping her, her style. As a young woman, she moved to Paris. She just left and went and lived in Paris. My father is a, a British man who had just uh, left Oxford, uh, starting his new career uh, as a journalist in Paris. And they met in, uh, in a Harry's bar. And they met and fell in love and they got married. Uh, and then they moved. My father's first big journalism uh, position was in, um, in San Francisco. So I was born there, but after about a year, my parents looked at each other and they thought, you know, our love and our family is, you know, has to go back to its birthplace. And so we moved back to Paris. So I was born in San Francisco, which is great, gives me the American passport and uh, the nationality. But essentially, I grew up entirely in, in France until about the age of 14. Then uh, my mother married another Englishman. My parents divorced. She met another Englishman. And then we moved to, to London. I moved uh, to London with my mother and my stepfather mm -hmm. and my brother. And then I had a very, very classic, traditional English girls' school education. Went to university there and then was out in the work world. And that's when I think my American spirit um, was really uh, sort of in evidence in, mm -hmm. in London because... I wanted, you know, I was so excited about the beginning of my career and I just felt like the English way is quite, uh, they do, they're not really embracing of people with big ideas. And, uh, you know, in England, it's all about, look, let's, you know, stick to your position mm -hmm. in life. Don't, don't get too cocky and, uh, you know, just, just plod along. Um, but I really had the fire in me to, to do big things and I wanted to make films and, But all the jobs that were available were very, you know, sort of uninspiring, very kind of um, un uninspiring. I did get a job, but I grew very tired of it pretty quickly. By now, my mother had moved back to America 
and we would have these conversations on Sunday, I remember. And then she, she just said, Amy, come, come to America, come to America and try, you know, the American dream, you know, you have the passport, I'm here. And so very early on in my career, I, um, I basically moved to the States uh, from Europe um, to, be with my, to be with my mom and then to live in New York. I loved New York and I came and then from then on, I was, nothing really stopped me because I think America really embraces that uh, spirit of, of entrepreneurship, big ideas. And it's really still to this day, which is why I think still so many people come here, it, it appreciates the, the can-do spirit, you know, mm. the nothing will stop me spirit. Right. And also New York has uh, a million stories in front of you all the time. You walk out into the street mm -hmm. to go get milk and you're passing a hundred. Every person that you pass in the street is its own, his or her own walking story, an amazing story because so many people go through extraordinary circumstances just to be here. So mm -hmm. I think that keeps me very alive. Also visually, um, it's a city that's always reinventing itself. There's such a heartbeat here. I know New York is not how it used to be. And if you talk to the old timers, you know, they'll tell you, oh, it used to be so much better in the <laughs> old days. But um, with all the immigrants, uh, the fact that just the simple fact that everybody has come here from elsewhere, is very inspiring to me. And in what part of your uh, life you decided to be a producer or when you start to feel this, um, this uh, willing to tell stories as a producer? Uh, well, first of all, from a very young age, I was always a, sto a verbal storyteller. Okay. My friends will tell you, you know, I, I am always telling stories, you mm -hmm. know, at any dinner table with any group of friends. I'm, I'm, I guess I knew early on that I had a, you know, a certain ability to be able to communicate experiences uh, in a way that was very vivid and alive. And so for me, you know, I like writing, but I think uh, being able to capture moving images um, is definitely my, my, my most uh, obvious way of sort of, of telling of telling stories mm -hmm. um so i when did i become a producer i mean i always so in other words i always wanted to i always wanted to tell stories mm -hmm. my way of telling stories was through the visual image of, through moving images and so i um and and i come from a family and so got a big tradition of um journalism basically mm -hmm. uh and so i sort of combined all of these and my mother is a liter is a literature uh teacher professor so i think i took all of these influences from my family and my own desire to tell stories also there was a big um uh drive to within the storytelling tell stories and give a voice to people who otherwise might not have um the platform And so when I combined all of this, the obvious thing for me to do was to be a documentary film uh, maker. And, it, and, but you know, you can't make money and you can't have a job just saying I'm a documentary filmmaker. You know, mm -hmm. have to start somewhere. So I started in, in television. Uh, in what role? A TV producer. But you know, mm -hmm. I was very low right. on the totem pole straight out of college. Uh, but I had a lot, of, I had the gift of the gab, you know, that expression, mm -hmm. the gift of the gab. 
and that got and I'm and I was quite um, pushy and gutsy, and I think that's something that's rewarded in America, especially in New York. And so I talked my way into some pretty uh, um, good jobs. I just decided to go straight to the source. I, I decided to, to try to get a temp job, a very low temp job at New York Times. Um, and I did, but I was in completely the wrong section. I was working a, a very small job in the payroll department, something like that. But every day I had to deliver things up to the top uh, floor, the 12th floor, where all the big writers were and the, the film critic, theater critic. And uh, whenever I went up there, I would take my time and sort of chat to the mm. various people. And one day at lunchtime, because it was all in Times Square, uh, I went to lunch with someone from the New York Times who met someone from the news news and documentary division at, at uh, MTV, Viacom, which was the building next door. They started chatting. He, he introduced me and I immediately said, oh, I would, you know, I'd like to work at MTV. What can I do? Um, and, you know, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. I got I got an in, got the job again, started very, very low and uh, slowly but surely worked my way up. And then uh, I actually got a job. Uh, I Maybe a year and a half later, I responded to an ad because I was still very low. I didn't have any, I wasn't filmmaking. I was just mm -hmm. assisting um, an executive. And, um, but I was part of big meetings and, uh, you know, I was the whole time I was just in vibing, learning, learning, observing, figuring out how to sort of get into doing what I wanted to do. And then um, I, um, what happened? Oh, I decided that I really wanted to get hard experience of uh, news coverage. And so I applied to a job at a local news uh, television uh, channel. And I, I actually was offered the job. And then I went back to my big, big boss at MTV, a huge guy who was way outside of my room. I had to go up in the elevator, you know, three or four <laughs> flies made an appointment with his secretary and she sort of looked at me like, who, who the hell are you? You know, you're just a, a junior. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and then I got the appointment with this big guy, Dave Cyrulnik was his name. He's uh, infamous at MTV. And I sat in his big corner office with incredible views of Manhattan. And I said to him, uh, well, I'm afraid to, my mother said, you tell him that you got another job and they're going to do everything they can to keep you. You know, I, that's what you do. So I went in, I told him, I said, listen, I've been offered an, another job uh, for news, um, for a news channel. And he said, great, go. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't fight yeah, for me. He didn't beg me to stay. He did not increase my salary at all. He just said, go, good. Spread your wings, learn, do, write, you know, basically spread your wings elsewhere. And then he said, if you want to come back, then you'll come back, but you'll be that much more evolved mm -hmm. as a, as a producer, as a, as a, you know, in other words, it, he, without saying so, if I stayed at uh, Viacom or MTV, I would have gone up tiny little steps of the mm -hmm. ladder, but by going to this other job, which by the way, I hated, I did the graveyard shift at a news channel, news, um, local, mostly mm -hmm. local news channel. It was deadly. I started at 1 a.m. in the morning until 9, so 1 a.m. to 9. Wow. But that's where I really, you know, I that was really where I cut my teeth. Mm -hmm. I learned how to um, write news stories. It was all for the big morning news uh, show. 
and that was really great experience and after i after about a year and a half of doing that where i almost died because it was i would dark circles under my eyes i had i didn't have any friends and i became someone you know who was awake all night and slept all day and then after that i just said okay that's it i i, I remember i rewrote my resume and i said i'm a producer now whereas if i had stayed mm -hmm. at mtv or in a corporate one it would have taken me years to get that title of producer mm -hmm. so this is a long story to say right. never be afraid to be ambitious and to this is america new york is a place where you can constantly reinvent yourself and i mm -hmm. think that people appreciate that mm -hmm. so after the this experience in the local news you went back to the um uh, NTV or you decided another like no uh, from there i actually um well once i quit the uh, the graveyard shift the nighttime once i became a zombie and couldn't take it anymore um <laughs> I sent out a little call to all my friends saying, listen, I need a job. Because uh, my mother, being American, she was shocked. What? You quit the job without having another one lined up? Are you crazy? I said, look, just leave it up to me. I know what I'm doing. So I, I sent a note out to my friends saying, I'm, I'm looking for any kind of uh, work in the next uh, month or so, just to, you know, to, so that I can pay my rent. And, um, and a friend, a good friend of mine called me up and she said, She works in fashion and it was fashion week in New York at the big tents, mm -hmm. you know, fashion week. And she said, can, can you come and work? It's a, it's a pretty low job, but you know, you'll get paid. You'll be here at, or you can go to all the fashion shows. And, um, do you know the names of the models? She said, I said, well, kind of, she said, okay, all you need to do is line up the models, make sure they're wearing the right designers and then they go out onto the stage. And that's all the job is. I thought, I can do that. But when I got there, actually, the first day, they gave me a VIP pass, a super VIP pass that could get me in anywhere in New York Fashion Week. So on the third day, when I was quite bored, actually, because I, I didn't have much to do, my job was only like 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there during the day. Mm -hmm. I thought, I'm just going to bring my camera. And I just started filming absolutely everything behind the scenes, all of the all of the models, all of the, 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 the journalists, uh, the, uh, the buyers, the, the, the cleaners, the, mm -hmm. you know, the whole, I, I filmed and interviewed everybody who was part of the spectacle. And then I got a friend of mine who was an editor. I begged him. I think I paid him with, with meals every night. Mm -hmm. He worked in a big editing place. I said, please, can you edit this into a, um, a film, a documentary? And he did. And then that was my calling card, you know, because I sent mm -hmm. that out to various people. And that was a good, it was a good film that could really show my ability to interview, to tell a story. Right. Um, it was very dynamic and it was, it was very interesting. Uh, look at the, it was a very interesting uh, all access look at a, a universe of mm -hmm. the fashion world. And uh, so that that was another big thing is that, you know, I would, again, um, recommend to anybody who's uh, perhaps in the earlier stages of their career is always, always keep doing, you know, make mm -hmm. stuff. If you're saying that you're a, a filmmaker, then make films, no matter what it takes. And you can do it on, you know, you can do it on your phone mm -hmm. now, but just keep doing it because that's what's going to set you apart is having, you know, having that. 
just having the content to show mm -hmm. what you can do. Also, it's kind of you took a job that is not so related with what you want to do, but you take an advantage of this time and you make Absolutely. a film in your free time. Absolutely. Maybe other person, it's like uh, taking a time for relax or take a coffee. You take yeah. your camera and go and make well, a documentary. You know, right? Absolutely. And I think that if you um, if you are a, a storyteller, a filmmaker, a producer, whatever it is you want to call yourself, um, you need to be curious about life around you. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided that because I was in that opportunity, that kind of pretty rare opportunity that I was really on the inside, but also kind of invisible. Um, it, I just saw it as a golden opportunity to to sort of uncover this kind of semi um, mysterious world of, of mm. fashion, and, high, high stakes fashion. And when you decided to open your own production company, what, when was that that moment? Is it? It's so then, um, so then I had, um, you know, because I had this calling card and I had a resume now that had New York Times on it, MTV on it, big, uh, this, this doc, this film I made about the fashion, uh, it was small, but it was, it was something. Mm -hmm. Um, then my resume started looking pretty strong and that's another thing I would emphasize, you know, Americans and they love to see the big names, you know, uh, there's no doubt that even my job at MTV, which was really not that interesting or not that great. I was really just an, I was just an assistant really to an, to an executive. Um, when people look at a resume, they, they're just looking at the big, the big, Oh, you worked at the New York times. Yes. I was in the payroll department, but okay. It doesn't matter. Oh, you worked at MTV. Wow. You know, back then that meant something now MTV is very different, but, um, so then I, I actually interviewed for a big, for a, a job at, um, at Fox, uh, television and they wanted to have a big, uh, primetime news magazine show, like 60 minutes, uh, mm -hmm. And I just went along for the interview. Uh, I think someone had recommended me, someone had put me forward. And I went for the interview and I got the job on the spot. And I didn't realize that this was a huge opportunity because um, there was a lot of money in it. Uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, had was pumping in so many resources into having a big, very well-respected primetime news magazine show. And I got hired as an associate producer. And that was that really meant something because it was big primetime TV, mm -hmm. um, and so suddenly I was on an, in a super high pressure environment where I had to, you know, I never forget Monday mornings. I had to, you know, my heart was in my throat, and all weekend I was like uh, paralyzed because I had to come up with story ideas. And you come in, you go up to the, you know, this big skyscraper in, in Manhattan, and you sit down at the table with some of the brightest people who've all been hired from the best colleges and the best this and that. And then you have to present your, your story ideas. And if they like the story idea right then and there, they'd say, okay, you're on it. We're going to put it on this week's show. Wow. Uh, get on, you know, book flights, uh, get your character. And these were big, big stories. Um, mm -hmm. And so once I, I had that job, um, I did that for about two years. And then after that, Uh, I had a friend from MTV who who I had known. She she convinced me. She said, listen, why don't we start our own company? We can do it. We know how to do it. And the first thing we did was to teach ourselves how to edit. 
um, that was really important was to learn how to be able to do all aspects mm -hmm. of the of the job. She was pretty good with the camera and um, I became a, a very fast and good editor. And so we literally just started a company, two very young girls. Sorry about this. Uh, ding ding um but yeah we started our own company we got an office um and uh we were up and running and before long we oh no that's it we we before we got the office we had it we waited till we had a contract and we we had a contract to produce a whole series of youth related um short documentaries for oxygen which was oprah winfrey's big uh channel and then from there we got um you know once you get one Mm -hmm. You know, we would That's go easy. elsewhere yeah. and we kept saying, we've got this, we can do this, we can do that. We also hired a, a really hot editor, young uh, editor. So it was three of us and um, yeah, we did fantastically well, very quick, pr pretty quickly. Well, so, and you are still working with the same production company? No, then I almost killed my partner. Um, okay. we're, we're very good friends now, but yes, that did not work because actually she and I did the same thing. We, we, we had the same role. Mm -hmm. see, we were both producer directors so it just it, it that's something i would say you know it's better not it's better if you do start a company um production company make sure that the roles are very clearly defined uh one person should it, it's it's we we didn't we, we were too inexperienced uh, to realize that having two people who do exactly the same thing mm -hmm. doesn't actually work very well uh but she's now gone on to do very well she's got a big uh She's signed on to, she directed her first feature film two years ago. It got picked up by Sony. She's now been hired to uh, direct a big uh, Hollywood, first sort of Hollywood movie. Um, so yeah, she's, she's a hustler. Mm -hmm. So the moral of the story, Renzo, is that never stop hustling. <laughs> never stop, you know, thinking about what you can do and never feel that you're don't hold yourself back mm -hmm. and right now you are working in your own projects you work yeah. for others so two more steps so then mm -hmm. after um dissolving um paraday pictures um actually my old underling uh, from fox he called me up and he said listen why don't we start a company now you and me and i said you my my you know my little um sort of you know he, he was really like he was like an um production assistant he'd come from texas he knew nothing i and uh, but we we did get on very very well and he was also very ambitious and um we started to come i agreed i said okay i'll give it a try but i was very i had a lot of trepidation because even though he and i got on very well and i could recognize he was very smart um I knew that he and I didn't have the same sensibilities for storytelling. He's, I'm much more into documentary. He's much more into mainstream entertainment. Mm -hmm. But uh, we started this company called Left Field Pictures, which um, we started with him and one other uh, person. And it that company, we, you know, I brought in a lot of the original clients and uh, we, we were doing quite well. He then said to me, listen, we should also rent equipment. And I thought, that's not what I want to do. You know, I'm a storyteller. He said, no, no, no. If we get equipment, then we can, we can make extra revenue on the side. He was always, he was very business minded. And uh, uh, anyway, a few years later, um, he, not me, I had sort of stepped away at this point, but he started this show called Porn Stars. 
P-A-W-N, Porn Stars. It's about, uh, it's a thinly veiled historical program, uh, which he uh, sold to the History Channel. And this company blew up to be a huge global uh, success story. And it saved the History Channel. It got sold, you know, it's been syndicated and it's translated into a million languages. It's, it's one of the biggest success stories. And therefore that company that I started with him, he sold it a few years later for an absolutely crazy amount of money. And it made all the news uh, at the time he sold it to ITV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had stepped back by now, but it, uh, you know, it sort of gave me a sense of how much it sort of reminded me that actually i don't i'm not really interested in in producing very very broad mainstream television and and by now reality tv it was a reality tv show Mm -hmm. and i'm not i really i started to feel a bit depressed when reality tv dominated all of television because to me reality tv is not uh, it's not storytelling it's Mm -hmm. uh it's just you know, it's, it's, um, it's not my cup of tea at all. So I actually, that's when I really decided, listen, I'm going to actually work on my own. I'm going to do have my own uh, production company. And so I started Amy Lorde productions, which also now is Amy Lorde films. And I make, uh, the specialty of my, my production company is that I make, um, documentary, short documentaries, uh, and content and they called uh, yeah documentary content branded content for um, large nonprofit organizations, foundations, NGOs, uh, non-government organizations, and that's uh, that's a big piece of the you know I was just there at the right time, uh, and all of the all of those organizations now uh, depend heavily on having uh, documentary content on their sites. Mm-hmm. Or to, you know, to show the world what they do, to raise money, to raise awareness. And uh, I thought it's, it's a good way of making money doing what I love. Um, mm-hmm. And I could rely on it. And I w- also an- allowed me to start my family. I have two kids now. Um, and that really gave me the freedom. It gave me the income, the freedom to be able to bring up two kids alone. And also the ability to really do what I love. And uh, in doing that, I, I write uh, scripts. I, I pretty much do everything. The only thing I don't do is um, film. Mm-hmm. I always hire uh, DPs. And why tell stories? Why, why you love what you do? Hmm. Why do I love to tell stories? Well, I think I... I think I, I love, if it really comes down to what I love about actually telling stories, so this is the thing I've had from since I was a, a, a child. Um, I think I love, I like the idea of entertaining people. I like the idea of, transport, of transporting people to other places, other times. I think I, I like to um, perhaps encourage people to you know, to think and to perhaps shift their opinions on certain things and people. And I think all of those core um, driving forces are still very much at play now when I am in the films that I make. I like to uh, create thought-provoking 
content that raises, that makes people, hopefully moves people to, to think or to think differently, to feel and to be motivated to take action. You know, I think uh, that's really what I, what, what's behind it. Well, cool, and I also cool. just love the craft of telling stories. Mm -hmm. I love writing, I love imagining, I love writing, I love meeting. But one of the greatest things about my work, um, and I know that this is something I share with my other producer friends, is this, I mean, what other job gives you this um, ability to dive into other work, to perpetually dive into other people's worlds and to uncover all these extraordinary different stories yeah mm -hmm. lives cultures history um learning you're always learning you're always observing you're meeting people from so many different walks of life mm -hmm. um it's a it's a really i still feel very very fortunate to do what i do and that i'm actually able to make a living doing what i do that's great so uh, you mentioned that you uh, also continuous learning recently Uh, what are you curious about right now? I'm always, I'm always thinking, Renzo. I'm always, always thinking, planning. And if anything, that's my, I would say is perhaps my, it's my, it's my strength, but it's also my downfall because I've become so interested in, in one issue, one cause, and I dive so far deep into it. And then I think, oh, I'm actually also really interested in this. And anyway, but right now, um, well, I've been working Uh, during COVID, obviously, it's been very uh, slow, uh, but I've been working with my um, associates. Uh, I work with these two other women who have their own production company in Brooklyn. They're also female-owned uh, production company, and we come together quite a bit. And we've been making a three-part documentary series about how the food industry has responded to COVID. Uh, and so we've done it in three parts. It's actually, it's great. Uh, from the perspective of, of farmers, uh, dairy farmers particularly, mm -hmm. who responded to the enormous waste of milk that happened during, I don't know if you re remember reading about that or hearing about this, but there was so much surplus of milk. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, so the, you just see gallons of milk just going to waste. This farm upstate took the milk and has in making cheese out of it and then providing the cheese to uh, food banks uh, for families, you know, um, families living in, in poverty. So that's been a great story. And then we also did a story about uh, the sea, the sea fishermen mm -hmm. and uh, the specifically the lobster trade. And then uh, we did an episode, um, part three, about restaurants uh, in New York City, how restaurants have um, had to basically, you know, They were brought down to their knees by COVID and they've had to show an enormous amount of resilience and inventiveness to, to pull themselves back up. So that's, I've been, we've been, I've been working on a series about, about food and, um, and I, my, but we really, where my thought is now, my heart is, I, I, I would like to be able to, and what I'm working on is getting access right now to a police department uh somewhere in the greater new york area and uh, i'd like to to really uncover um all of the the hidden um 
Well, I, I, what I want to do is dig really deep and get an understanding of how law enforcement is actually um, basically organized in, in, in the U.S., in American cities. So that's, well. that's, what, that's really where my mind is right now. And then also, by the way, this is what I meant about, you know, always creating. Every day, I'm, you know, I, I happen to be someone who rollerblades. So I'm on my rollerblades all the time. And I always have my, you know, pretty high uh, image quality uh, iPhone. And so I'm always filming uh, while I'm on my, right now I'm experimenting a lot with filming in motion. Mm -hmm. And so I'm filming a little um, sort of mini documentary about how New York, uh, how Brooklyn, the spirit of Brooklyn has, uh, is, has really kind of, basically survived and bounced back after after the COVID devastation. Awesome. Uh, thank you for your time. And we talk a lot of the different topics. So thank you for, for this time. You're very welcome, Renzo. And um, I'm sorry if I talked a lot, but that's this is the problem. If you're a storyteller, you, you just right. keep wanting to tell stories. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, best of luck to all other um, producers and filmmakers out there. Keep at it. So important to tell stories and to give a voice to those who don't have um, the ability to be heard often. And um, it's, it's a great thing to do in, in this life. And so I wish uh, best of luck to all producers out there.